Hello everyone, I'm Sarah and welcome to Portals of the Paranormal, the witch edition. Uh, Thriller Thursday. Oh, so we've got some special, we've got a very special guest for you this, this evening. Okay, some of you might ask, what have witches got to do with the paranormal? Well, in all honesty, they pop up everywhere, especially when you're an investigator. It, you could be like in an old building, or there's the woodlands, there's vi villages and towns, there's always some kind of witch story about it, and they've been around for centuries. Uh, a few examples would be Pendle Hill Witches, the the from Lancaster, uh, the cage in Kent, that was a jail for witches back in the 1600s, uh, Boss Castle, that's the equivalent of Salem, should I say, in Massachusetts, and also Voodoo in New Orleans. Uh, we have a fantastic, well, we have a really exciting guest, our very own witch, should I say. Uh, I'm going to bring him on and he can tell him, he can tell you all about himself. So here we go. And his name is Manium. He has his own YouTube channel, Witch in the Workings. Here we go. Hello, Hi. Manium. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Oh, good. Thanks. Oh, I'm super excited to have you. Yes, I'm excited to be here. It's awesome. Oh, so we've got a few, anybody uh, watching, if you have any questions to read, uh, I'll read them out and he will answer them for you, won't you, Manium? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Right. Anything you're not comfortable, just say pass. All right. Okay. I'll try and keep uh, it. Yeah, it shouldn't be an issue. I should be able to answer everything. All righty. <laughs> so the, the, the question that is on everybody's lips is how did you get into witchcraft? How did you get into witch? And there are all sorts of different kinds of witches as well. It's all very confusing for me because I'm not, the only thing I have to relate to is watching all the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> okay. Well, no, that's, that's a great question, actually. So I personally grew up um, always into sort of like the occult. So I had my cousins and stuff that would come over. Um, we would always bust out the Ouija board. Um, we would always play stuff like light as a feather. Um, we'd always do these little things. You know, I remember way back in the day, like, um, like when I was a kid, like, you know, 10 years old, like, you know, um, dabbling with ghosts and stuff, you know, around, and, you know, and, uh, and I actually had a, a ghost experience from the time I was a baby. Because like uh, to make a long story short, like my my parents literally like um, we had a house fire and they had to live at my grandma's house. And my grandma had a ghost that always kept the door open in the uh, in the room. If you shut it, it would open up. You they, She would put a 10 pound weight behind it. It would just push the weight and open up. Um, I was just learning how to walk. And my mom and, and they were in my my parents, my mom and dad were in this. Unfortunately, well, they were in that room. So. They, my brothers and sisters were in the family room and my grandma had no AC. So this is like back in like the seventies. So she would put a big fan in the family room for my brothers and sisters to help keep them cool, you know? And it was where, you know, it had the slits, you know, it's his old fans, you know? And of course, you know, those older fans were like extra powerful and extra dangerous. <laughs> they had no, like, you know, the blades were steel and everything else, you know, the stuff was just built better back in the day. And, um, the door kept opening and I, and I was just learning how to walk and I was doing a lot of that. And like my mom literally had to get up three times to shut the door. And cause she was afraid I was going to walk out in the middle of the night and stick. Cause I had this fascination with the fan and she was afraid I was going to stick my fingers in the slots and you know, yeah. so she literally got up a third time, shut the door, said, Hey, Mr. Ghost and talked to the ghost and said, Mr. Ghost, um, listen, I, 
you know, explain the situation. You know, my child, he's going to kind of walk. I'm afraid he's going to get up and he's going to, you know, if you can please, we're going to be here for about 30 days. If you can please just let us shut the door and keep it shut for these 30 days, we'll be out of your hair. And I'm just really worried about my son. So please, she got up and shut the door. From that day on, from that night on, every time she shut the door, now the door in the morning would open back up again when everybody was up. And that was it, stayed open. But at night, she allowed my mom to close the door. It, he, actually, we found out who he was, allowed the door to be shut and for the night so I wouldn't get in trouble. You know. Oh, that's amazing. But to answer your question going there, I got into it. I've always been into it. And when I was about 18 years old, when I was about 15 years old, I had a girlfriend who was actually very much into witchcraft. And um, I was like, um, okay, well, at the time I was like, ironically enough, like, oh, whatever. You know? <laughs> and, um, and then when I was about 18 years old, I all of a sudden, just like I was working as a bouncer in a game room. And all of a sudden, I just, um, I had this like interest. I don't know what it was. Like the goddess just kind of came and said, hey you know what, you're, you're going to do this. And I just all of a sudden had this major interest. I don't know where it came from, how it came about. I kind of had an inkling of it because of this girl that I dated, yeah. but I literally called her like, and I was like, Hey, totally into this now. Um, can I have a few books, you know, on it and whatnot? And she was like, yeah, yeah. Right. Whatever. You know, sure you are, you know, but anyway, it kind of grew from there. And um, me and her got together and we made, um, and after I had studied it for a little while, reading books, you know, like pretty much the way everybody starts. Um, I know I called her up one day and I said, Hey, do you want to do some Sabbaths together? You know, some celebrations. And she's like, sure. And uh, we got together and we hit it off and did great. And our friends kind of caught on and they liked it. And they just kind of, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, point being within a year, I have this coven, this eclectic coven. Wow. And we just kept working from there. Um, and then ultimately 10 years down the road, um, I joined a gardenarian coven, which is a traditional coven as opposed to an eclectic coven and, um, carried it on from there. And I've just been, you know, Wiccan and, um, teaching others ever since. So there's so many, so many different types of witches out there. There's pagans and you're talking about the Wicca, Wiccan one, which I live near the new forest in, I'm in Southampton, but mm -hmm. I think it was Gerard Gardner. He yep. was founder of it, wasn't he? Yeah. So first of all, just to clear up um, where you said pagan, pagan oh. is an umbrella term. That means anybody who basically in, in my definition of it, in my opinion, it'll be others. But the fact is, is one of the facts is this. Pagan is an umbrella term for any religion that is not under the Abrahamic faith. Uh, Judaism, yeah. Christianity, Islam, for instance. Uh, we don't follow the Abrahamic faiths. Um, so in that sense, paganism falls underneath this umbrella term. Or sorry, Wicca falls underneath this umbrella term of pagan. Okay. So um, that being said, as far as there being many types of Wicca, yeah, exactly. Gerald Gardner was the first person to, I don't like to say create it. I like to say resurrect it. Resurrect you know, it. Because he first learned his craft from a group of witches uh, back in 1939 is when, he, is when they discovered him, in a sense. Um, and he carried it on from there. Um, what happened was he, it, it's always been an underground religion. It's always been an underground teaching, um, because of the burning times and things like this, the burning times being like, as everybody, a lot of people know, like, you know, like uh, if you've ever heard of like the Salem, Massachusetts, like, uh, hysteria that happened in here in the United States. And of course in Europe, 
all the all through all the centuries that they burned witches during the inquisitions and stuff like that. Uh, it went underground, you know, um, and they had to hide it because if you because it was a, during a time when all you had to do was point at a neighbor and be like, that woman owns a black cat. She's a witch. And yeah. they would come take you away. And the way the Inquisition in a lot of these um, situations worked where they would take witches away is they asked questions and they pretty much you were condemned at the start. You were a witch, whether you you there was no denying it. Just because somebody pointed and said you're a witch, you're done. You are done. There was no getting out of it. Yeah. Um, they would literally torture you. So you had these you had these options. One, be tortured to death by denying you were a witch the whole time. Or two, say you're a witch right away and die quickly. So, but once you were gone, you were gone for the most part, yeah. you know. Um, but Gerald had to take it underground, and um, and and it stayed, or not him, but his people that taught him had to take it underground. And when he wanted to, and so his idea was, you know, so he was initiated in 1939. In 1951, the last law against witchcraft was repealed in England. OK, that gave him his opportunity and his chance to now take something that he felt was going to die out and give it to the world. So he started writing books, which his very first book was Witchcraft Today. Second book was The Meaning of Witchcraft. His very first book on Wicca was actually a book called High Magic's Aid, written in 1949. But it was a, a fictional book that was talking about Wicca and giving pieces of Wicca to the public, but fictionally. So he didn't get taken to jail. You know? yeah. And um, but because of this, he resurrected what he already knew. And he and when he asked his elders, he said, hey, I want to put this out to the world. They said, absolutely not. They said, we've been in the shadows as long as we have for a reason. And we've been safe so far over the last 100 or 200 years for a reason. Um, we don't want to even though it, this law has been repealed, we don't want to shake the hornet's nest. So they said, if you want to do something like this, then you need to change it up some and don't give out what exactly what we do and everything else. And, you know, plus don't name us, don't name anything about us and blah, blah, blah. So he did. So he put out some, uh, at that point, documentary style books, um, non-fictional that expressed what Wicca was and what it was about and uh, that he knew for a fact that these things were true because he himself was a witch, um, which uh, a lot of people couldn't lay claim to back in the day. Um, but he started it and it was kind of like resurrected through Gardnerian. So what I am is a linear, I'm a traditional Gardnerian witch. Um, because of, uh, when, once he came out with it and it started getting out, other people that were talented as Gardner with writing books, uh, for instance, Doreen Valiente, who was one of his high priestesses, yeah. she was a writer as well. So she has multiple books out. Patricia Crowther, another priestess of Gerald Gardner. He had seven altogether, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. He had seven altogether, and I'd say half of them write books. <laughs> so they um, wrote books themselves. But, of course, this went out through the masses, and other people started reading about it and learning about it. And they, too, started writing books and creating other traditions outside of Gardnerian tradition. The very first tradition of witchcraft to develop off of Gardnerian witchcraft was, for instance, Alexandrian witchcraft, which is very big over in Europe also. Gardnerian and Alexandrian witchcraft both are very big where you're at, very big in England. Um, and they, it made its way over to the United States in the, I think, late 60s, early 70s. 
uh, Raymond Buckland, who lived over in England, um, moved to New York City. When he moved to New York City, him and Gerald got together and they were like, and Gerald was like, hey, we don't have a big following over in the United States, if any at all. Take this with you and, you know, spread the word. So he did. And um, like my lineage of witchcraft, I traces back to this New York City where, where it started. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then many traditions are not not even necessarily traditions. Traditions a lot, a lot also, as well as just other branches of witchcraft. What we would call some of them traditional, um, what we call British traditional witchcraft means it all traces back to Gardner in some sense or traces back to um, something that started over in Britain and came over to the United States or started over in England and came over to the United States. Then we have eclectic witchcraft, which is all the other stuff. It's basically where people got together. They read some books from Llewellyn. They they they. Basically, that's it. They read some books from Llewellyn, who is a publisher for most witchcraft books, and they um, learned what they could, grabbed pieces of everything they liked, put it together, and started a Wicca that they like, Um, which is what I did when I started. When I first got into Wicca, I did that. I read the very first book I ever read on witchcraft was a book called Mastering Witchcraft. And, and I read that and I read a couple of other books and that's where I learned from. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to put together something myself. I'm going to take this, I'm going to take that and I'm going to build this thing and just, you know, so I can celebrate because I, everything that these books are, are telling me are, um, ringing out to me and it's what I believe. So I'm going to do something myself. It wasn't until 10 years after doing that and working with a coven. And the only reason I even ran the coven, it wasn't like I put the coven together and said, I'm going to run a coven. It was all my friends. And in the end, we we had this whole thing that, you know, we're all equal. Everything's fine. I don't, I don't, but then in the end, what happened was I met a Gardnerian witch and, at a store. She owned a store in South Florida. And um, she asked me, she said, this tradition of, you know, what do you call it? I'm like, I don't have a tradition. It's just, you know, witchcraft. You know, Wicca. And she said, well, you got to call it something because it's, you know, something. It's not what what's normal. And, you know, so she kind of talked me into naming it. And then I said, but I'm not a I'm not a priest in that or anything like that. And she said, well, really? She goes, well, who teaches the coven? And I said, well, I do. She goes, why? And I said, well, because I know the most, you know, me and my wife at the time. And she said, well, I guess that would make you a priest and priest system, wouldn't it? And I was like, well, yes, but I'm I'm going to fight it. I don't want to be. You know, <laughs> but in the end, um, this woman literally um, introduced me to Gardnerian witchcraft and a traditional sense of witchcraft, which when I went into it, I thought, you're not going to teach me anything that I don't already know. 110% wrong. There's so much in traditional witchcrafts that are not in books. There never will be in books um, because it's oath bound. And when I joined that, I, and that's where I'm at now, you know, that's where I'm in this Gardnerian witchcraft. And, um, but that's how I got into it. That's my lengthy, but try to be quick story. <laughs> oh, it's fabulous. The, the um, coven, I mean, uh, excuse me for being ignorant and I really don't know anything about it. Is, is it purpose for uh, being stronger together in spell, smell making? And also what is the purpose of a coven? So what most of so a coven, especially in traditional witchcraft, is necessary. Um, you can't start it. You can't be in it without a coven. And the reason is, is because in traditional witchcraft, not all in Wicca. Okay, first of all, 
let me tell you before I answer that question, I need to because you're going to hear me say Wicca and witchcraft quite often. And yeah. I want to be very clear that witchcraft and Wicca are not the same thing. Okay. Wicca is a religion that witches are part of, um, which is specifically from Europe, from Europe. Wicca is a European religion that embraces witchcraft. Witchcraft is a practice. You can be a witch in Africa. You can be a witch in South America. You could be a witch in Europe. You could be a witch in Australia. And when I say witch, I'm talking about like, you know, centuries old. You know, everybody is different things in different countries. There's witchcraft all over the place, um, which witchcraft is a practice, a person who practices, who embraces the elements around them, um, who embraces nature from around them, and they use it in what's called magic. Okay. Wicca is a religion that was developed from England um, or from, from, from Britain, we'll say, because <coughs> it's also, it's also or, or from Europe, because there's also Irish and Scottish Wicca, for instance. Um, and it's developed. And I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't, you can be a witch and not be Wiccan, but there's no, in my experience, if you're Wiccan, you're also a witch, if that makes any sense. Like Wicca embraces witchcraft. It's just a European version of witchcraft, you know. So most likely if you're a European witch of any kind, you're um, um, most likely uh, a Wiccan. You know, that doesn't have to be. You can also just be a witch and not practice the religion of Wicca. Because, again, religion, Wicca is a religion. Um, but witchcraft is a practice. Um, but as far as the coven being part of it, when you join traditional Wicca, um, you, you can't just be a Gardnerian witch. You can't, you, you can't just call yourself a Gardnerian witch. It's an initiatory practice. Okay. Um, and it always has been an initiatory practice. Alexandrian, Georgian Wicca, um, Blue Star Wicca, or to name a few more. They're initiatory. The only way you can be a Gardnerian witch is to be made a Gardnerian witch by another Gardnerian witch. And it's always passed down male to female, female to male. You know, oh, there's okay. that. It works like a battery. Um, the way the belief system is, is that the energy is passed on to each other in a battery form. So you can't have like male to male or female to female. It has to be that negative and positive that creates energy, so to speak. So it always goes male to female, female to male, you know, um, in the very old days, it was passed down father, father to daughter, mother to son, you know, things like that. Or in circumstances like that, where it was parental, it could even be mother to daughter in that sense, because it was a little bit different because they were in desperate times where you didn't really have like, you know, but um, for the most part, it's always done male to female. Um, that being said, it takes in, in, in traditions like this that I'm talking about, it takes a witch to make a witch. Um, but that's not all over. Anybody can be a witch. You can, um, like I said, pick up a couple of books, read some stuff. It's the way I started. Yeah. Put your own thing together. Uh, I will consider you just as much a witch as anybody else. Um, so don't let what I say about in our in traditional witchcraft where it takes a, a Wiccan to make a Wiccan is what I should say. But, you know, again, they're kind of the same thing in traditional um, outside of traditional. You can just read some books and figure it out yourself. And I don't see you any less than I see my brothers and sisters of what I'm part of. But because of this, 
there's always a coven involved because it's more than one person. A coven is basically a group of Wiccans or witches that come together and work together. Um, there's pros and cons to all of it. Um, as a coven, the pros are that, again, like you said, there's strength in numbers. Yeah. Um, two, you learn a lot faster and a lot more because you can run things through other people and get other opinions. You're not relying on yourself and you're in these books that you're reading. And there's always times when you read these books and everything when you're learning Wicca and Witchcraft that you have tons of questions. Social media is a godsend in, in nowadays for that. Um, but it's also got its pros and cons because, <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, so much of the social media out there, when you get into Wicca and witchcraft, it's all so negative, meaning yeah. that people, I don't know what it is, man. People's egos nowadays are just like off the wall. And it's like the second somebody even says, hi, I've been studying witchcraft. People are automatically come back and go, oh, you're a loser. Or, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And all the person will do is ask a question. You know, it's just amazing. Like it, the, social media is inherently it's got it's weird. Social media is weird because again, it, I I I do my Wiccan working YouTube channel. Yeah. I make part of my living off of social media, so it has its pros. But at the same time, unfortunately, it has its cons. Being in a coven, same thing, same way. Because not only do you get these extra people, but you also have to deal with people's attitudes at that point, and you have to deal with people at that point. <laughs> you know, and that could be an issue with people. That can be an issue with a lot of people. They don't want to deal with other people. Um, working solo. Uh, what we call solitaire, um, you don't have, the cons are you don't have the help. You don't have other people to bounce things off of. You literally are going off of what you can teach yourself. Um, you are basically um, relying on your own knowledge and not being able to ask questions and everything. And you're just kind of figuring it out. And it's very, very slow. It's very slow. Um, I've been there been there, done it. And I can tell you, I've been solitaire. I've worked with a coven. I've been eclectic. I've been traditional. So I know all sides of the fences. Um, my preference, and I put out to everybody and tell you if you can do it, do it, is to work with a coven and do your best to try to get with a traditional group because there's things that you'll learn that you'll never learn out of the books. Um, and not even just a little bit, a chit ton <laughs> um, is a lot. Um, but at the same time, there's your, your lone wolves out there who are like, nah, you can keep it. And I respect them just as well. Just know that, you know, there's cons there too. And that, you know, you're not going to get, you know, the one, th the pro is, is that you don't have to deal with people. The yeah, con right. is you're not going to get the same education. In witchcraft, is it more about the elements, earth, wind, and fire? Is there any sort of ascending masters? I'm not, I'm talking, oh God, I, I got to. I'm going to put it out there, but mm -hmm. is the, the devil involved or God's involved? Mm -hmm. I don't mean that in any way offensive. I'm just asking a question. Oh, no, no, no. That's a great question. That's actually perfect. So, yeah. Um, so, no, uh, Wiccans do not believe in the devil. Um, we right. do not have an all evil. We do not have an all evil entity that, you know, is believed in. Um, we believe in a god and a goddess. There's three levels to that. There's um, to break it down. It's again, it's the stuff that in, in the stuff you're hearing from me right now, by the way, anybody who's out there watching this, be very thankful that these people brought me on that, you know, Sarah and brought me on because um, you're not going to read this in books. So, you know, a lot of this stuff. So um, with guard, with uh, with uh, goddess and God worship, um, there's three levels to it. There's one that is not 
the Abrahamic God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is some pagans basically out there that very, very, very few that believe in one God, one force, but it's, it's a, herma, it's hermaphroditic. It's a, it's a hermaphrodite. It's got male and female combined. Okay. But they see it as God and goddess combined, you know, right. very few people go there. It's, it's, this is like an, an esoteric belief. Okay. The second level is uh, God and goddess. And this is the masculine and the feminine. Okay. And um, there's no name. There's no, uh, there's no name for them. There's no traits given to them, human traits. There's no, um, uh, what do you call it? Behavioral patterns given to them, you know, like jealousy and mad and sad and stuff like that. It's literally extremely simple. It's a masculine and feminine force. That's it. And it creates everything. And people don't try to give it. They don't try to fathom what they look like or what traits they have. They literally see it as a masculine and feminine force. And this is where I stand. This is where I'm at. Um, and the reason they see it as a masculine and feminine force is because that's what is natural around us. Um, when you walk outside, people will say, oh, no, it doesn't take the masculine and feminine to create. That's a bunch of uh, bull hockey, you know, especially nowadays. A lot of people will say that. But my say challenge, I challenge them. I, say, I challenge you to to walk outside and look around and tell me what's not created by masculine and feminine that has a heartbeat. You know, everything that has a heartbeat has a mother and a father. Um, so we kind of put it up to this uh, masculine and feminine force. The third level is all the gods and goddesses that we read about. Zeus, Aphrodite, um, you know, um, Caridwen, you know, oh, Kermit, really? you know. Huh? That's, all, that's all in with it. Zeus and Aphrodite. And that's all with I, I never knew that. Yeah. So that's like a third level. So that's the level of where people have taken this masculine and feminine force. Right. And they've brought it down to a third level where they can't they can't handle not um, mentally being able to um, perceive them as just fathomless and like um, of, of like this nothingness of like this just masculine and feminine force. They can't handle it. They've got to have them associated to bring it down to their level. They've got to have them associated with our traits, with human traits. So they take these masculine and feminine force and they bring it down to the third level where there's these thousands of gods and goddesses throughout all the many cultures and they give them. So if you notice all of these gods and goddesses that are named and given yeah. names, they all have traits. They all have human traits. Zeus is jealous and angry and, and hates all the other gods and wants to throw lightning bolts at them. Aphrodite is all about love and beauty and this and that. You know, they're all human things. Um, I don't believe that. I don't go there because, uh, and, and I'm very few, and even most gardenarians don't, you know, a lot of gardenarians don't even see it the way I do. They like to give them names and everything too. And I'm not against it. It just brings it down to their level. It brings it down to where they, because they want to be able to associate with those gods and goddesses internally. And the only way to do that for a human being is to give them our internal feelings and behaviors and traits. So they do that, but I don't do it. <laughs> so, um, but, um, so that answers like some stuff about the questions with the gods, yeah. um, where we worship a god and goddess. Uh, again, there is no devil because the Satanism, the devil, that's a Christian idea. Whole different ball game there. Another show. Yeah. <laughs> don't never don't ever never have worshipped the devil. Never have. I mean, history will paint that picture, especially yeah. um, during the Inquisition and stuff like that, where they were taking witches. But you have to understand, 
when they were taking these witches and they were um, quote unquote what they call engineering them or torturing them, the, the priests were on the side recording all this information. When they record this information, every single time a witch said, my priestess or my priest or my god or my goddess, they automatically just put in the devil. Because in their head, it was the devil. So they didn't put. And then Lady Jenny said that her and her coven would meet with the high priest of the, and the high priestess of the coven and do circle. They would put Lady Jenny said she got with her coven and met with the devil. <laughs> you know, so they even kings in Britain in Britain were obsessed with witches. I think it was King Richard. He was he was terrified of them. And that, that that's to do with the Pendle Hill witches as well. But half of them were just wise women or maybe a bit a bit of women with gumption and all oh, you've mm -hmm. had a birthmark, you're that's it, you're a witch. Mm -hmm. And I think in Boz Boss Castle, they had a dunking stick where if you was human, you would just drown. Yeah. But if you wasn't and you survived, you would get your head chopped up and you were burnt, burnt at the stake. So you were buggered either way, wasn't you, to be honest? Yeah, yeah. no, no, it was definitely um, exactly what I said in the beginning of this whole thing is that once you were taken, you're screwed. Yeah. You know? And and again, all you had to do is point at your neighbor and give a reason. You, you didn't even have to have a solid reason. You could simply say, I, I saw this person. You could simply lie. And the reason people did it, so you're wondering, so a lot of people are wondering, why would one, why would a neighbor do that to another neighbor? Like, what's the point? What that, What is the point of turning in your neighbor and saying, this person's a witch? Why would you do that? What what Because what, what, people, what they don't tell you, too, is that you get the land. Yeah. Land. You turn in a witch once they're gone. The church said, "Here, you can have their land. Good, good job." Yeah. So you just it's basically, you know, took like, say, you have a bank account of, you know, let's put that in today. Yeah. So people can understand. Say you have in your savings account ten thousand dollars. If you could turn in your neighbor and get their savings account of fifty thousand dollars, I'm not saying would you do it because most people won't. But back then, I guess times were rougher. They did. <laughs> they yeah. said, you know what? I need their you know, I'm doing it. You know, and uh, so they do it. Can you tell us any history, American history of, of you know, witches stories? Um, I mean, the biggest, I think, American history with uh, this. So we have to remember America is not that old. <laughs> 200 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not Europe. You know, it's not that old. Um where our real stories begin, um, I think the biggest witchcraft story there is with uh, America is the Salem Witch Trials, which happened back in the 1690s, um, where there was a small town, um, which would, it would I, forget, I forget what it was called. It wasn't Salem, Massachusetts, but it was basically it's Salem, Massachusetts now. It was renamed. And um, there was uh, a group of children there. Um, who basically started screaming witch and they started pretending like they were getting like possessed and stuff like that. And in the end, it ended up being where like 300 people, I think close to 300 people were, uh, were taken and imprisoned. Um, I forget the number of how many people were put to death. I'm going to say it was in the thirties were put to death by being hung. Um, there's a misconception that they were burned at the stake. None of them were burned at the stake. They were all hung. Uh, one guy was pressed to death because he refused to admit that his, uh, I, I think it was because he refused to admit that his wife was a witch or something. And he was pressed to death. 
by stones. But um, but that's the biggest thing in America. That's the biggest thing that ever happened witchcraft wise. Um, and ultimately it ended. So I believe it started because of politics, because, yeah. again, somebody wanted somebody else's position or land. And they literally got their daughter, talked their daughter into doing this asinine thing with Screaming Witch. And, of course, some other children joined in and even some adults. And it ended up getting way out of control. It lasted about a year. And in the end, what stopped it was one of the hysterical people screaming witch. And they would go in the fits. One of the reasons I say hysterical is so they would go into seizures and they would really just act things out and say they were being possessed. They blamed the actual governor of the city, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And the, and, and, and the governor was like, whoa, you know, wait a minute. This has gone too far. Okay, wait, it's done. <laughs> you know, because I think yeah. they blamed his, they either blamed his wife or his daughter for being a witch. And that's where the screw up. And that's where finally, you know, this whole time, this was the guy, this was the guy actually doing, presiding over the trials and condemning everybody to death. And then all of a sudden somebody went, oh, your daughter too. And he was like, oh, wait, stop. Never mind. It's over. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. He would, wouldn't he? <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. I want to ask you about spell making. Um is there all sorts of spells for health, love? What, what do you do? You actually do them? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah! I can I can show you one. <gasps> oh. I can show you a, a piece of one right now. Oh wow! So what <laughs> is this one for? This is a binding. Where. Somebody did some nasty to me. Somebody tried to do some nastiness to me. Oh. So, I, so I bound them. I actually need to go ahead and disassemble that. Actually, you reminded me. Thank you. Um, I think the job is done. I need to go yeah. ahead and disassemble that and bury it, you know, and be it done. Because I don't leave the person bound forever. I only bind them as long as they need to be bound until they stop bothering me. Once they stop bothering me, I disassemble it and clear the, clear the, uh, the binding, the spell. But um, do spells all the time. Absolutely. Um, again, with a coven, solo. That one was solo. I did that by myself. Okay. Um, um, but usually you'll work with a coven sometimes. And there's tons of spells. You can do spells for prosperity. You can do spells for healing. You can do bindings like that is. Um, you can do um, spells for uh, fertility, uh, protection. Okay. You know, there's and, and there's tons of different ones. It's just a matter of figuring out... Um, what you uh it's a matter of figuring out how you want to do it if you want to do it with a coven if you feel better doing it by yourself most traditional witches will do stuff with a coven because again there's power in numbers and we're most comfortable doing it with a coven in this situation i did it by myself because most covens don't want to work with bindings and stuff like that that's a very personal thing yeah and and, and i don't agree with people who do spells for people because nobody can do a spell. So part of what's making a spell is your intention and your feelings and your emotions and everything about you that's going into the spell. Nobody can duplicate that energy like you yourself can because you're the one in life being affected by it. So to tell somebody, so to pay other people to do a spell for you, it's never going to be as powerful as you doing it yourself. Can you think it and feel it like you're in a power? For example... I when I was when I was um, carrying my children, I wanted them to have 
blue eyes. My son, my eldest, has blue eyes mm -hmm. from his father's side. I wanted my, my other child, my middle child, to have my eyes. And wow, born with brown eyes. And then my youngest was born with green eyes. So do you feel that you can conduct something with, if you really want something in yourself, in your own mind? Is that part, could that be part of a witch? There is, there is no limits to what a spell can do. Um, you can have you can make a spell do literally anything. I mean, I can give you an example. You would think like doing a spell for invisibility would not work because what the heck? Who's going to walk around invisible? Yeah. But it really does. And what I mean by that, so you don't think I'm a lunatic or that I'm crazy, it's not that you literally turn invisible and you can walk in and rob a bank or something. You know what I'm saying? But what happens is if you do a spell for like invisibility, um, it makes it where you you can get by and you can get through things without being noticed as much. Um, I did an invisibility an invisibility spell for myself back when I was in my early twenties, and I've never taken it off myself. And to this day, every time I'm in a situation where I um walk up to somebody or I do something and somebody doesn't notice me. And I literally sit there and I'm like, how is this person not noticing that I'm here? You know, I'm like, I don't know. You're walking up behind somebody in Walmart or something. And you're like, you're trying to get around them and you're literally stomping and everything. Like for the person to move over, like, Hey, get out of my way. I'm trying. And they just don't recognize. And you're like, how in the And then I always think back one of these days. And I say to myself, literally one of these days, I've got to like reverse that, like that, that invisibility spell. <laughs> Cause it's still obviously still like, but no, you can do like things like this where say you want to do something where you're not noticed. Like say you want to do something where, I don't know, you have a job or something where um, you don't want to necessarily stand out in the crowd because it means they call you out on something. You could totally do an invisibility spell and not be as noticed as much. It's not, that, again, it's not that you're actually invisible, but it kind of draws the attention away from you. Any energy that would bring a person's attention to you is kind of pushed to the side and, you know, and, 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 and not less noticeable. I could do with a confidence spell. <laughs> very, very, very good. You know, yeah. um, confidence, you could, uh, you know, something you can do for confidence, take a red candle, get a red cylinder candle. And, um, um, you know, those ones that they call those seven day candles that are like, yay big, uh, get a red one. Um, Draw on it on the outside on the glass with a black magic marker. Put all kinds of symbols on it that represent confidence for you. And that represent I mean, even the word confidence and anything that would represent being confident. Um, take it one evening, preferably preferably when the moon is waxing, which means when the moon when the moon is growing it to full. Best case on a full moon itself, once the moon is full, take that candle. Um, draw on it with a magic marker, all these symbols on the outside glass of all of these things that make you confident, that, that, that would give you confidence, that you feel would give you confidence. Put it down on a pentagram, draw a pentagram with a circle around it on a piece of paper. On that piece of paper, also draw symbols and things. Put the candle on it, light the candle, you know, and then concentrate energy into it of being confident and then let the candle burn out. If you can, don't let it, don't put it out. Let it burn all the way out. Let it burn its seven days, you know. Um, and I guarantee that that'll work for you. Oh, thank you. I'm going to try that. No? Thank you so much. Oh, it's lovely. Oh, fantastic. I was going to ask you another question. 
Okie doke, where was I? Um, in the coven, spell making. Okay, yes. So my dad used to tell me a story. Um, he was in the army back in the 50s and his train got cancelled. So he was walking back through woodlands up north somewhere and he could hear all this chanting and he saw a fire and he saw a load of naked people pegging it around a fire, <laughs> chanting. And it's like, it's, he said, I think there were a bunch of witches. He said he never was so frightened in his life. He just pegged it. He just ran all the way to the next village. Is this a real thing? Do you guys get naked and run around a fire chanting? Is this, what is the purpose of this if you do? Okay. Yeah, it is actually. Yep. Really? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so as a traditional, um, as a British traditional um, Wiccan, um, Gardnerian to be specific, it's a skyclad tradition. It's an initiatory tradition, like I mentioned earlier. It's through, it has an initiatory degree system. Um, we have three degrees. You start off um, in the United States, <clears throat> you start off as what's called pagan or outer court, where you work a year and a day with a coven, but you wear a robe. But on your initiation night, you, um, you're skyclad what's called sky clad, which is um, clad only by the sky. In other words, you're naked. You're totally butt ass right. naked, not a stitch of clothing, no underwear, nothing. You know, no, I'm not going to paint a picture here. You're just butt ass naked. <laughs> the way you were born, the way you were born. Um, and you uh, work that way um, from now on. Um, I, um, you work sky clad uh, naked um, when you work with your coven and, and when you work your own magic, um, you don't have to do it when you're by yourself, but you do. Um, a lot of people don't get it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> there's reasons behind being skyclad. Um, the three reasons are one, um, in our tradition, it's, uh, it's, um, in, in any witchcraft that's traditional, it's, uh, it's traditional. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's my word I'm trying to find. If you actually look up witches, Google witches in the past, you're never going to see them with clothes on. You're always no. going to see them naked. Um, it's the way it's done because, two, it's also it takes away from the mundane world. Um, there's actually a famous carving called the Sabbath that involves four witches back in like the 17 or 1600s or 50. I think it's actually no, I'm wrong. It's a 13th century carving. So you can see this goes way back because when, when I say 13th century, I mean 1200 something where there's these four women that are witches in the carving and they're undressing, they're getting naked. And the only thing they're still wearing are their hats and their hats, especially back then declared what their class was, whether they were a peasant or whether they were a person of means and money and stuff like that. And what, what is symbolic about the carving is from the neck down, these women are all the same except for these hats that they're wearing. And by their hats they're wearing, you can see that the one woman's a peasant, one woman's middle class, one, woman, one woman's very upper class. And hence, which brings about the second point of being sky clad in circle. It releases all mundane ego from you when you're in circle. Yeah. It, the circle is a place between the worlds. It's a place for the gods and for you to come together. There is no ego in the circle. There is no, there is no um, rich and poor in the circle. Everybody's the same. So what better way for everyone to be the same in circle than naked? You yeah. Know? You guys out there, I know what you're thinking automatically. You're like, well, we're not all created or equal. 
I say grow up. <laughs> you know, nobody cares. Nobody cares about things like that. I can one say one thing because a lot of people actually think that. They think, oh, well, you know, can't that be judgmental? Because everybody thinks that. The second day you walk into with, with, I don't know, say eight to ten people, other people naked, they might say, well, they're going to be looking at me and they're going to be judging me and how I look does not happen, does not happen. And yeah. it's never happened to me. And I've been doing, I've been doing working Skyclad for 21, 22 years. Uh, I've never been judged in circle. Um, it just doesn't happen. And I've seen all shapes and body sizes and everything else. And it's like one of my priestesses once told me years and years ago, everybody looks divine in candlelight. <laughs> <laughs> All cats look the same in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, we work skyclad. Um, and another reason is um, so you have that it is one. Um, so another reason they say, which I don't agree with, some books you'll read and stuff. This is bullcrap, though. This is, but I want you to know it's bullcrap when you read it. For when you read it, is they say that the clothing hinders the magic. That's not true. If you're doing a spell and you're sending magic a thousand miles away, do you really think a thin piece of clothing is going to hinder that? And it's, it doesn't. So anytime you read about that, about, oh, clothing hinders the magic, that's crap. That's bull crap. That's, that's not true. I promise you. And, and, and to be skyclad, sorry for interrupt you. That's fine. The other thing is once you've worked skyclad, it, it is unlike anything else i can't even begin to explain it um once you get used to it i could never it's very hard for me to work robed there is times i have to work robed in circles because like when i go to public circles or i go to stuff that isn't necessarily gardenarian which i do all the time i have to wear a robe but to work naked even by yourself even if you try it by yourself it is unbelievably so much more extreme than when you're wearing clothes Nice breeze. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you, uh, working in the paranormal world. Now we come across we come across sorry we come across witches quite regular. Do you think it's because of the power of the the supernatural in a in a being? Why these witches? I'll give you a prime example. Uh, there's a place in Kent called the Cage, which was a jailhouse for witches, and it's absolutely rife with paranormal activity. The walls bleed. There's like beings being seen all over the place. Do you think that it's because witches are just more powerful? The spirits are stronger. Well, I mean, in witchcraft. Just so you know, like, okay, so let's talk about like the paranormal internet and, and ghosts and things like yeah. that. Let's go there. So, in witchcraft, first of all, the what we believe, it, we believe in reincarnation. Okay. In Wicca, we believe in reincarnation. We believe in the cycles of everything. Um, part of what Wicca is, is believing in um, this masculine and feminine force and in the cycles of nature. Um, the cycles of nature being the seasons. We worship the seasons. We have eight Sabbaths in a year, eight holidays that we celebrate. And all of them revolve around the seasons and what are called the quarters and the cross quarters. So we celebrate the autumn equinox. We celebrate the summer solstice. We celebrate the winter solstice. And, the summer <coughs> um, and there's, there's four points in between these that we also celebrate. They're called the greater Sabbaths and the lesser Sabbaths. The lesser Sabbaths are these equinoxes and solstices. The greater Sabbaths are these other ones, which are... Um, Beltane. I think our all eight Sabbaths we have are Imbolg, Ostara, 
Midsummer, uh, Beltane, Midsummer, Lamas, Mabon, Samhain, and Yule. Okay. Um, and what we celebrate these things, and they're all cyclical. Everything is cyclical. Once a month, we, we celebrate, for instance, the cycle of the moon as well. And this is done once a month. And this is called an esbit. Um, so we have sabbats, which celebrate the sun. And we have esbits that celebrate the moon. So once a month, we celebrate the moon. And what we're doing is we're celebrating the full moon. Some covens celebrate the new moon as well, which is when the moon's at its darkest. It's like there's no light in the sky. It's totally dark. There's no sliver at all. The full moon is obviously the full moon. Everybody knows the full moon. Not many people know the new moon. Most witches, we celebrate the full moon. And if you go back and you look at a book, there's a book written in 1897, I think. It's called Charles, it's from Charles Leyland. It's called um, um, Eridia or Aradia or Eridia, Gospel of the Witches. And there's actually a charge of the goddess in that book that talks about witches. And this man, the, the, the author who put it together says he went through a village and he got this information from witches that were in this Italian village. It was from Italian witchcraft. And uh, the charge of the goddess says it all. It says, um, she says in that charge and that, that um, we celebrate once in a month, better it be when the moon is full. And to true and to show that you shall truly be free from the mundane and truly be free from man and its chains, ye shall be naked in your rights. Again, a, 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 something written in the 1800s about Skyclad, you know. Yeah. And um, we celebrate these cycles. Um, and... Um, I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> About what well, we come across witches in the paranormal. They always seem to come across oh, as stronger. Right. So we believe in reincarnation, which is another cycle of life because we believe in birth, death, and rebirth. That was my point with the cycles. Yes. And the um, so because we believe in rebirth, with the so you're saying like when you go to these places where the walls are bleeding and stuff like that and everything? Yeah, it was known for like a jail which is being tortured and killed being tortured and killed yeah and it's really rife with paranormal activity and they do feel that it could be the witches in there why it's so a hive of paranormal activity and i was just wondering okay so i can i have an answer for that right being a witch and being what i know witches were taught for centuries i would say that none of those ghosts were actually witches right i'd say that those ghosts were probably good christian people that were put to death wrongly for under under the guise of witchcraft. Well said. And, and that's why that happens there because these people are still hurting and they're still seeking their ghosts. Yeah. No, I mean I have a thing with ghosts. My my definition, the difference between a ghost and a spirit is that a ghost is a being that once was living and lost their life and is still searching for something. There's something that they didn't complete. There's something that they didn't finish that they're still searching for. A spirit, in my opinion, is somebody who lost their life, died, but they were complete. And a spirit can come and go as they please. For instance, in my, in a thing like you only see spirit, like you'll see spirits a lot in spirit activity a lot in situations where there was like old ballrooms or places that were fun where these spirits have actually gone on to the next level but they're choosing to come back to re-experience good times yeah. whereas a ghost is has unfinished business yeah and they're still seeking it Perfect. um hence i think 
the things that you're talking about were probably good Christian people who were put to death under this guise and are still looking for a release. Fantastic. That's a brilliant, brilliant answer. Do you, um, do witches believe in spirits and absolutely not just spirits spirit worlds spirit world absolutely so witches have common practices um i don't know about all witches i can't i can't speak for all but i can say in my practice in gardnerian witchcraft we actually have full practices where we work with for months at a time traveling to different spirit worlds and working with spirits in the fey realm and different astral realms and i am meeting these beings and working with them Awesome. That's fantastic. Oh, uh, we was having a conversation earlier about mediums. Um, I think I worded it like uh, it's a gift to be a medium. Do you mm-hmm. feel like there's elements of being a witch in that as well? In um, your personal opinion? I mean, as far as being a medium, so it, obviously in witchcraft, um, one of the things, one of the, uh, <laughs> again, I'm talking Gardnerian witchcraft. Right. Uh, as a traditional witch, one of the requirements is you have to become, you have to learn and become uh, very fluent in a um, in a divination, in a mediumship of some sorts. Whether it's tarot cards, runes, scrying. Um, me personally, I lay hands. Like I, I like actually put my hands, like I'll hold a person's hand and I can read their energy and read their future and their past and what they're going through and everything else. Um, and there's many different forms of, of divination, um, tea leaves. I mean, everything reading smoke that you put on a paper from a candle and, and it all works out great. Um, it's all something that is not just a gift. So some people has it as a gift. Some people are born with it. Some people are lucky enough to be born with this gift. Um, some might say not lucky. <laughs> it depends on who they are. Um, it, it can be a gift where you're born just naturally great at it and good for you. Awesome. Wonderful. You were probably a witch in a past life. Because, again, believing in reincarnation, another thing is witches believe once a witch, always a witch. Wow. You're reborn as a witch again, again, and again. And um, there's no getting at it. That's just the way it is. Um, but some people have a harder time. So first of all, just so you know, having the gift of divination, of mediumship, what you're calling mediumship, I'm going to call divination. Okay, yeah. So having this gift of being able to see, being able to um, read energy from the past, the future, the present, Either way, because it doesn't just have to be the future. It can be present energy even. Being able to read that energy is um, inherent in everybody. Every single person who's alive, is who's born, it has this gift. They all have it. It's a matter of knowing how to find it and awaken it. It's just like muscles. Um, people who don't work out at the gym, they don't have big muscles. But if you work out at the gym you get big muscles. Yeah. Your divinatory skills are the same thing. They all are in all of us. Some of us are born with bigger muscles than others, with bigger divination skills. <coughs> some of us have to work at it, and some of us have to exercise those skills. And um, most of us, to be honest. So don't feel like... if you it, the, the minority is definitely the ones who are born strong at it. Yeah. 
bottom line. <laughs> I myself, I, I had to work at it. Um, I started off with tarot cards and then ultimately I developed into laying of hands um, because I just figured it out over time. I, I stopped using the tarot cards and I started being able to see more by just touching the person than the tarot cards could give me. Yeah. Um, so you kind of develop your own thing. Um, and um, everybody inherently has this ability. It's a matter of finding what's yours and working it out and getting better at it. And that's with everything. That's with magic. Everything out there that has to do with all these special things that people think are special and nobody else can do. We're all born with it. It's a matter of just working it out. Fantastic. Brilliant. Uh, hexing. Is it a real thing? Uh, is it the pointing and the cursing? Is it? Can it be done? Is it done? Um, no, hexing, absolutely, it's real. Absolutely, oh, it? it's real. Okay. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, I mean, for the most part, most witches do positive things. Most people who cast spells, they do more on the positive side of things. Um, but uh, when it comes to hexings, they are the minority of mm -hmm. what people will do. I can guarantee that. Um, a lot of times, I mean, the, the fact is when you're doing magic, you got to put a lot of energy into it. Um, you got to put a lot of energy um, and there's whole, you know, that's like a whole nother, you know, working magic is a whole nother conversation. Um, but um, sometimes it's easier for people just to ignore or to um, or to just like, you know, do something mundanely to fix their situation than to actually do the magic for a hexing. But like I showed you that binding that I just yeah. did. To me, uh, in this situation, it was a lot more applicable for me to do that binding than it was to just forgive and forget and just whatever. Um, that being said, they're absolutely real. Um, there's different categories of uh, hexes. You know, you have like what they call um, you have what they call like hexes. You have what they call jinxes, and you have what they call um, um, well, there's bindings. So a binding isn't really a hex like what I showed you. A binding is literally something that is basically um, you're basically keeping the person from doing harm to you or anyone else. Yes. Most of the time yourself. You know, you're basically just taking the person and you're not putting something bad on them. You're simply saying, hey, I'm binding you from doing any more shitty things to me. Yeah. You know, or to whoever you're doing it to. Uh, and then, like I said, after due time, you you unbind them. You know, and there's multiple ways to do that. But hexes absolutely exist. Um, and they lead into what's called the uh, threefold law, which um, everybody sees out there. A lot of people associate Wiccans as this uh, peace loving white lighter thing. Yeah. So far from so far from the truth. Really? So far from the truth. Listen, Llewellyn, again, this public this publishing does if you go to Barnes and Nobles and buy a book on witchcraft, most likely it's gonna be from it's going to be uh, put out there by the publisher, Llewellyn. Um, they tend to um, really like to stick around white lighter type crap with Wicca. Especially in traditional witchcraft in Wicca, it is everything but white lighter. It is the farthest thing. It's like I tell people, the absolute last thing you want to do is piss off a Gardnerian witch, for instance. Because <laughs> you will suffer for it. I mean, oh, we, don't, we don't take shit. As a matter of fact, I take the whole term of Wicca. It somehow got adapted. It got somewhere. It got taken by Llewellyn 
and readapted to that whole saying that says, and it harm none, but do as you will. Yeah. The real saying should be, and it harm none, but take no shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's the reality of it. That's the reality of most witches. Yeah. We don't want to purposely go around hurting people, but God forbid you do something to us because we yeah. will retaliate. Yeah. So, yeah. Can we, can we bind Putin, maybe? <laughs> I know, right? We do a collection of witches. And I'm sure. I'm mm. sure witches have done spells towards that. You know, I yeah. mean, I'll give you a, you know, a famous story, you know, that goes around back in the day is when Gerald Gardner himself was still bringing, was resurrecting this craft back in the, um, the forties, or he was, this is back when he was still working with the coven before he started resurrecting it. And world war two is going on. There's a whole story about how him and a group of witches actually went out and did a binding or did a thing to repel the Germans from England's shore so that they would never set boots on ground, you know, and invade England. Yeah, it didn't happen. It worked apparently because no German ever set boots on England. Oh. Mm. Well, M M Mussolini kicked out Alistair Crowley, didn't he? <laughs> and he's one of the most evilest men on earth and all. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Crowley. Crowley's a whole nother, mm. a whole nother interview. Oh. Like, and I don't know a whole lot about Crowley. I know a little bit about Crowley. I can tell you that Aleister Crowley was um, one of the major um, influences of um, of the occult world that we have mm -hmm. today. But he was a character, and he was definitely a man who um, a lot of people are kind of like take with a with a fifty fifty type deal, where half of his energy was awesome, the other half was kind of like. A little bit crazy, a little bit nutso. And but I can say that if it was not for Aleister Crowley, even with influences to Gardnerian witchcraft and Wicca as we see it today, Wicca in any form it is as today, without Crowley, it wouldn't be what it is today. Um, he had a big influence on Wicca, he had a big influence on witchcraft in a sense. Not not you know, I shouldn't even say that. It wouldn't say huge influence, but some of his studies had an influence on witchcraft and Gerald Gardner himself met with Aleister Crowley a couple of times to go yeah. over things. And um, Crowley actually gave... Uh, so Crowley's big for creating what's called the OTO, which is another occult system uh, called the Ordo Templi Orientis. And he um, wanted Gardner... He saw how well Gardner was doing with Wicca and passing it to the world. And he wanted Gardner to grab hold of the OTO and do the same. Um, the OTO concentrates very much on the masculine forces and God type worship. Gardner didn't like that. Um, he was more of a God and goddess type guy. Cause Wicca practices with a 50, 50 deal with the God and goddess. Um, and uh, more so towards the goddess um, Wicca very much on many levels in many traditions and many systems is more oriented is very feminine. It's, it's more of a yeah. feminine thing. It gives power to women very much. So it's any, any person who is Wiccan for the most part is most likely a feminist at the same time. I, myself, you know, most of the men in witchcraft are feminists. Um, we, we look very strongly upon the goddess and about women's rights and women's. And again, it's like in Gardnerian witchcraft, the high priestess has the final say. Yeah. You know, if there's an argument in the craft and there's something going on in a Gardnerian witchcraft coven, the priestess in the end says, it. I'm saying this and that's that. And that's it. That's final. <laughs> you know, so um, 
it said it a long time ago, Crowley joined witchcraft back in the day. And the, the, the rumor goes that he quit because he quote unquote would not be ruled by any damned woman. He was very sexualized as well, wasn't he? Yeah, oh. he loved sex. Yeah, all his stones worshipped him, didn't they? Yeah, men, women, he didn't care. He was all for it. You know, he was just about whatever so, uh, it involved. <laughs> the craziest thing I read about him is how he sacrificed the goat while it was doing his missus. And I'm thinking, why don't you, you screw the goat Crowley and whistle it the goat? <laughs> yeah, and whistle it his neck. It's like, well, what did you, what did she have to screw the goat? That That's new to me, that one. That's new, but I wouldn't yeah. doubt it. You know, I'll be honest with you. I actually, I'm, I, I am a first degree initiate in the OTO. Mm -hmm. And um, as a little side project I took on over the years. And um, I've literally had people from the OTO, like, and this is a public thing. So one of the things the OTO will do is they'll do what's called a Gnostic mass. And it's for the public. Anybody can come watch it. And one of the things that the leaders will tell you, at least that I witnessed, was that they'll say, okay, Alistair Crowley. And this is their dude. This is their dude. Yeah. It's like, he's a complete asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then they'll go on from there. So, you know. He was on heroin as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a heroin addict. Yeah. Yeah. When Crowley, uh, when Crowley met with Gardner um, to discuss like different things when he was making Gardner an honorary OTO person before Gardner. Um, literally, well, I don't know if I finished that Gardner quit the OTO. He only did it for a couple of months and then he stopped because he said it wasn't, he, it wasn't his cup of tea. It no. was too God oriented. There was not enough goddess in it. And it was kind of away from what he was trying to put out there. He went back to focusing a hundred percent on Wicca, yeah. but, um, he was, he, he met with Gardner a few times and the couple of times he met with Gardner, he was actually in on his deathbed. And was still a heroin addict at the time yeah. because he met with Gardner while Gardner was basically in what was the equivalent of a nursing home. Yeah. Or sorry, Gardner met Crowley where Crowley was basically in what was the equivalent of a nursing home. It was on his last days. Yeah. I didn't. It's only my personal opinion. When he was on his second honeymoon with his wife, he decided to go to Egypt and he went into the Egyptian pyramids and decided to conjure up a whole new and read out the Book of the Dead and things like that. And I thought there was a bit of a, a mockery of the yeah. Egyptian heritage that he was doing there. But that's only my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was in there. I think that I think the story is he was in there for like three or four days. I forget what it was, but he was there for like three or four days straight. Yeah. And, and he basically, and that's where, if I'm not mistaken, the text that came from that intervention was um, the lesser, or was his version of this lesser key of Solomon. So the lesser key of Solomon is a book about 72 demons mm -hmm. that came about um, a few, some years before Crowley, but Crowley did this whole thing with these demons in Egypt, like you're saying, and he kind of yeah. rewrote the book. He kind of put his, his version of what these demons were and what they looked like and what they represented and stuff like that. He tried to conjure up one in Boskim house didn't he, in Loch Ness. Some people think he's responsible for the Loch Ness monster, but he had to go for days on bread and water and he'd give up because he was, he, he went and got, he went and got a burger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, those practices are so extreme. Um, they yeah. are intense. It's like witches. It's like one of the things witches like to say um, is that you can be a ceremonial magician 
and you can do a working as a ceremonial magician and you can, because that's ultimately what Crowley was, was a ceremonial magician. He wasn't yeah. a witch. And you can do this thing where you wait for the exact right time in the exact, in the exact time in the exact date when this planet crosses with that planet and at the exact time of Mercury where Venus is in retrograde of this and on the hour of this and that, which sometimes you might have to wait six or seven months to do this working for the exact timing to be right. And yeah. with, these, with these extremes of to perform this magic, or you can be a witch and do your spells and get the same exact effect in couple of days yeah <laughs> you know i mean you know however long it takes sometimes instantaneous you know um it's just different different strokes for different folks some okay. people want to wait all that and they want to put that because they feel like it's more powerful yeah and then there's those of us that are just like you know um more on a naturistic level on a simplistic level hence a lot of witchcraft is folk magic it doesn't yeah. go off of these ceremonial magicians in the past were 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 very very rich people to perform ceremonial magic, you had to have gold this and gold that and this and stuff that just folk magicians that folk people couldn't come up with. They didn't have money for that kind of stuff. You know, their idea was to alchemy and ceremonial magicians and to raise certain things that were were that were very, very um, that took very, very um, um, a, a lot of attention and a lot of energy where. They're, again, they were spending a lot of money and calling on demons and calling on these things to help them. Or you can make a circle and go off into a field with nature and the god and goddess and what's around you, which I believe is super, super powerful. What yeah. was more, what's more powerful than the moon and the sun and nature itself? You Definitely. tapping into these forces and tapping into these powers, bringing them to a controlled uh, energy. Yeah. And utilizing it to me yes. that's more powerful than waiting for a specific time and date because you decided to stress yourself out for a specific situation to occur yeah. you know but Definitely. that's my opinion too so is there, <laughs> but, is there offerings and sacrifice involved in in the um wiccan yeah or well in wicca neither well, right. So in Wicca, there is no sacrifice. You don't do stuff right. like that. You don't. We don't sacrifice animals. We don't sacrifice people or anything like that. Right. Um, because um, we kind of like you just don't see a need for it. Right. Um, there is blood magic. There is certain times where they'll do blood magic, but it's your own, and it, yeah. and, it, and it involves pricking your finger. You know, there's no sacrifice there. You grab a lancet. You test for diabetes because that's. I recommend that instead of a needle. It's a lot. Yeah less painless by the way just for anybody out there whoever wants to do it you prick your finger and uh you know you you do your thing you know i mean i come from south florida for instance we have hurricanes that used to come through south florida all the time so every time a hurricane would come through i'd get my coven together and we do a little blood magic to thwart to push the hurricane away <laughs> to oh. make it go away and it never failed it always worked you know and offerings do you do offerings um to I don't know. I think Halloween has something to do with that, doesn't it? Oh, I read somewhere. Offerings well, fruit and veg and things like that. Well, we do offerings. Um, we'll do offerings, especially in, um, yeah, we'll do offerings from time to time, especially during a circle where you put a bowl out and there's things that are done that um, involve 
taking um, food and wine, for instance, that we ingested during the circle, putting yeah. it in a bowl for libation. And then afterwards, you take that bowl and you take it out to the to your backyard or to wherever you're practicing and you dump it on the ground. And in essence, dumping that on the ground and you say some words too. And in essence, you're dumping that and you're libating to the earth um, at the same time. Um, that's the, that's the sacrifices. That's the sacrifice we will make. And that's the offerings we will make. And, um, you know, you do those offerings and nature eats it to yeah. us. You know, sometimes we'll leave a plate of food out and then come the next day it's gone. Now we know that a physical God and goddess didn't come take this stuff away and take it away. But to us, because we see God and goddess in everything, yeah. When the birds and the possums and the raccoons come and eat that food, to yeah. us, that's the god and goddess taking that food and accepting our offering. No, oh. well, that's a lovely thought. It's nice. Well, uh, well, I've had nearly well over an hour of your time now, but I was going to ask you some some cheeky, well, goofy questions, if I may, and whether or not they're relevant to Wicca. Okay. Okay. Right. So the, this might sound daft. No, but I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, broomsticks, black cats, and flying. Are any of these relevant to Wiccan? So the broomsticks, uh, yes. Broomsticks we totally use as a tool for uh, clearing, as a tool for um, clearing negativity. Um, we'll use what's called a besom. We call it a besom. And we'll use it at the beginning of circles to sweep out an area. And what it is, is all it is, is a symbolic, uh, not physical, it's a symbolic cleansing of negative energy before we cast a circle. And there's usually words that are said with it. In the old days where it comes with uh, witches flying on brooms, where that comes from is in the old days, there was an old tradition where women would grab a broom um, and they would go out to the crops. Because, again, we're talking about a religion of the peasants. Yeah. Wicca wasn't a religion of the rich people and stuff. It was mostly of the peasants and whatnot. And they would run out and they would do what's called symbolic magic. Symbolic magic is like attracts like. So they would run out with their broomsticks and they would jump up and down in the fields as high as they could to show the crops how high to grow. Onlookers would see this and think the that the witches were trying to fly on their broomsticks. Whoa. So that's where the, uh, the falsity comes in. Two, second theory, I don't believe this, is that there was something called flying ointment. That's real. Flying ointment is real. It's a hallucinogenic and it's an ointment that they would put. Some people say they would put it on the end of a broomstick and then shove it up their butts or whatever. And then in order to get the ointment to ingest into their body and it would become a hallucinogen and then they would be flying to a sabbat or something or a nearby sabbat. They would said that it would help them to leave their body astrally to be able to visit other people and stuff like that. I don't believe that. I believe the flying ointment's real. And I believe that if they did shove it in any kind of crevice, it was with their <laughs> finger. Why would you stick a twig up your butt? Seriously. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> you would probably use your finger, if anything. Um, but they would take this flying ointment and they would put it under their arms or on their wrists or on their neck in pulse points where it would ingest into their skin and do it. And then they would sit in front of a, a chimney to sweat. And the sweat would ultimately control the hallucinogenic because they would start to sweat it out. Um, hence they also have a lot of, uh, you'll see a lot of history and paintings and carvings and stuff where, where witches are flying on brooms out of a chimney in order to get to their location. That's where all that stems from. They weren't really flying out of a broom with their chimney. They were using, they were using this ointment and they would sit next to it, to a, a hearth 
to sweat it out next to the fire. Um, black cats. I don't know. Speaking of cats. <laughs> You've got a cat. Yeah, my fatty. Oh, <laughs> beautiful eyes. <laughs> but I got it. But she's um. But the black cats really come from. Let me let her out real quick. Sorry. <laughs> Otherwise, we sit there listening to her meow the whole time. Um, so the black cat is, is probably comes from the witches familiar, which uh, witches in today I work with. Actually, we do a class where I work with witches familiars on how to get us a, a familiar, but more a spirit familiar, not a animal familiar. But it's been known that it's been known throughout time, through the centuries, that they say that sometimes witches would have a witches familiar, and that's where the black cat comes into uh, to play. No, that's so it's all true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always assumed that the flying thing could have been something to do with astral projection, but it totally does... did. It totally did. You're absolutely right. Ah, oh well, that's fantastic. Uh, I think uh, one last question: witches from past and present. If you could sit down and have a cup of witches brew with any witch that really sort of inspires you, who would it be? Gerald Gardner. Oh, I knew that question already. No. <laughs> Yeah. I think I googled him today. He was a wee man. He had a beard. Yeah. 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 He was so he exactly was that, but he was also so inspirational. And anybody who met him who's still alive, which is very few people, there's only one high priestess he had that is still alive today, and that's Patricia really? Crowther. Oh. And I she see. lives in England. And um, yep, yeah, and uh she's in her 80s now, I think maybe even 90s by now. But uh, I, t I spoke with her a couple of times, and my witch queen has been to her place quite a few times to, to copy from her BOS, from her Book of Shadows. Wow. Um, which anytime a witch copies from another witch's Book of Shadows, it's in by hand. And it's, and it's, and it's, the Book of Shadows never leaves your, 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 your home. So uh, she had to actually travel to Patricia Crowther's home to hand copy from her book of shadows to learn more about witchcraft and from, you know, how Gardnerian anyhow. It's amazing. It's all so interesting. I'm so yeah. going to Google a load of stuff tonight and all those names that you've popped up. Very Thank cool. you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I hope I, hope I had good information for people. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I come out very knowledgeable. Thank you ever so much, Manion. No problem. Uh, you right to plug your uh, YouTube channel or anything? Oh else? yeah. So everything we just talked about and um, and more. Um, I have a YouTube channel called Witch in the Working, um, uh, which I think you'll probably have a link to it somewhere. Yeah. 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 And it just basically is everything we just talked about and more. Um, I think I've got seventy-seven videos out right now. The last video I just put out. On Sunday was about sex magic, so run over there and check it out. <laughs> Everybody wants to know about <laughs> sex magic, and uh, um, and yeah, it's uh, and it's me talking on them and just giving lessons in uh, Wicca and witchcraft. It's all about Wicca and witchcraft. And guys, if you want to go for on, on a ghost hunt, just look us up on www.portersofparanormal.co.uk. We've got a few going down the bottom here. We've got another East Drive, I think, the Haunted Antiques Shop. It is is fabulous, and I think that's a sleepover as well. We've also got Oxford Castle, which is a sleepover where they have the jails and the um, the castle bit. So it's amazing. So thank and you I, very much. And I even have a uh, video on my channel. Um, I don't know what episode it is, but it's on ghost hunting. Oh, 
Yeah, totally. My, 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 my thoughts on ghost hunting. And I even go over some tools and stuff that I, that I use myself. Cause I, I myself am an avid paranormal investigator. Oh. So yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, you know, if you're ever in the UK, look us up. Absolutely. And join us. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. What's your favorite method in ghost hunting? Um, well, it used to be EVPs. Yeah. I used to be big time into EVPs because they produced more for me than anything. But I'll tell you, I had this camera that I bought way back in the 90s. It was a Sony Mavica and it and it used these three and a half inch. Remember the three and a half inch floppy disks? Yeah. It's a digital camera, but it used one of these. And that camera produced so many orbs for me. It was not even funny. It was like so accurate. And I've never found another camera that, that beat it in, uh, in, in, in its day. And I still have that camera. Um, I haven't done ghost hunting in quite a while. Um, but recently I went ahead and I purchased because I had to see it in action and I used it and it works on uh, SLS camera. Oh, yeah. They're really good. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Love the SLS camera, you know, uh, um, with the uh, stick figures and the in the lasers, you know, if I'm. Yeah, yeah. totally. Totally love it. Um, love that. I love watching the videos where there's a guy. Somewhere where he does, where he lives in a haunted house. So he's able to test out a lot of stuff. And he literally like uses an SLS camera and he's in a room with it going. And he literally has the ghost appear next to him. And he's like, can you reach out and touch my hand? And you watch the figure reach out and touch him and everything. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Oh, a good one is um, Ghosts of Carl Malmain. Have you heard of him? Kent Brewis. No. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Really good. He lives in this little town. And he lives in the house. It's called it, it's called the Lamb House, the old Lamb House. Uh -huh. and he's had a full-on apparition sitting on his bed. Something hit the window, shoot out the window. He's caught all that stuff. Is that with like an SLS camera? Uh, he just uses his own Sony little camera. Oh, wow. And he's actually had a, a full-on, I call him a full-on MFG, a mother and ghost, sat oh on God. his bed. That's yeah, crazy. The links. Yeah, there, really there's good. another one I watch quite often. Um, it's a guy who, uh, again, in England, and he's British. And yeah. he has, and it might even be the same guy, I don't know. But I know that in the thing, he, he posts all the time um, these ghosts. And because his house is haunted, but with a poltergeist, very active, very destructive, throws things around, floats stuff up in midair, pushed mm -hmm. him one time. He opened like he opens up his door in the video. He's got like cameras that sit like in that he set up, you know, he opens up a door and this thing literally shoves him across the room and he crawls his way back over and shuts the door and just leans up against the door. And the whole time the door is just banging and stuff for like a good you know, like hour. And he's literally talking to it like please, you know, move on, stop, you know, but then he gets, he ultimately gets arrogant because his, his, his wife and his kids move out, but he stays. And this Ooh. is a YouTube. I'm talking, he has active videos as of 2021, you oh, know, send me his link. Oh, I'd love to have a look. Oh my gosh. It's so intense. I happen to roll upon it and he's got dozens of videos, dozens where he literally just has like things happening. He has things that sit in the, the doors opening by themselves at three o'clock in the morning. And uh, he has one where the the stool he has a stool in front of his and it's and he's not even downstairs he's upstairs sleeping it happens at like three o'clock in the morning it's weird you know I'm sure you know that like they say that like a lot of activity happens I mean these hours of like three in the morning and whatnot the witching hour as they yeah. call it <laughs> yeah and, and and he has like where he literally films like this like stool or I think it's a chair or whatever it just like floats up into the air 
and hovers there for a second and then like throws across the room. Uh, it's insane. And, 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 and I really believe the guy because one, you can see his honest to goodness fear when a lot of this stuff is happening Two, a lot of this stuff happens without him being there. Yeah. It's like it's it's in the wee hours of the morning where he literally just set up cameras in different locations of the house to record things because because crap was happening so often. He thought, why not record it, you know, and get what's happening. But he ultimately starts getting like arrogant and starts getting like where he's like telling the ghost and talking to the ghost. Hey, you know, I'm really sick of you, you know, effing with me and stuff like that and he literally calls this being out and stuff and watches stuff because can you do it again can you just and literally things will just like happen like right there you know in the room with him it's insane oh yeah I, i'll try to find it to you and send you the link it's oh yes please yeah you're, you're in new england aren't you because a lot of things yes i was born and raised in south florida lived there my whole life i'm 49 years old right no yeah i'm 49 years old holy crap i'll be 50 in december and um, I lived my whole life uh, up until eight months ago in South Florida. I was born and raised in the same house, always lived there. Um, came up to South Florida or came up to New England, um, moved up here. Love it. Um, yeah. Went to Salem a couple of times and things are just, it's just so much better up here. Like Florida, yeah. you know, I said America's young. Pfft. South Florida is very young. Like South Florida didn't get established till the 1950s. Nice. You know, let's be real. So coming up here, where you walk into a house that was built in seventeen something, yeah, blows me away. <laughs> you yeah, know, definitely. Like, that's where Ed and Lorraine Warren started off. They were up that New England strip, wasn't they? The the New England Society, uh, yeah. was it? Paranormal Society, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's so much up there. Like you got the Lizzie Borden House, you've mm -hmm. got um, Amateurville up there, haven't you? We've got the Conjuring House yep. in. Rhode Island, I think it's Rhode Island. I, I don't even know all the places yet. I mean, oh. I'm so new here, but I do know that it's like my um, my fiance told me. Mm -hmm. Everywhere up here is haunted. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's all haunted. She's yeah. Like, is, <laughs> you know, so it's like there's been times I go by, I drive by people's houses, and like I want to stop and just be like, hi. You don't know me, but can I just walk in your house and like look around? You know, because it just looks. Like it's totally like you know, ghost you know ghosty you know I guess they would call it. But. It's part of the history is a turn on with the paranormal going to all these locations and they're really old and it's not just about the spirits and the ghosts it's just about the 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 history of the place well who's been yep. there yep. yeah how old it so is. So in Florida everything's built out of brick and the reason oh. everything's built out of brick is because of hurricanes and everything looks the same every house is so and i didn't realize this till i moved yeah. every house in florida is so um plain it's so plain for the most part um not every house but you know what i'm saying like it's yeah. the majority it's just so plain and when i came up here to new england and i'm looking i, I finally realized it because every house in new england and i'm sure it's like this even over in europe yeah has its own distinct character and its own life it's like every house has its own design and you don't see the same crap over and over and over again. And it, they're so interesting to look at, you know, they have like these interesting windows and these interesting, like the way they're formed and the way that they have like these like little silo things built onto them and stuff that I'm probably saying that you guys are probably like, so what? But when you come from a place where everything looks like a cracker box, 
<laughs> you come to a, a place where there's character and there's and there's life and like these these like amazing features of every house it's like you're like whoa mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah we have 16th central century castles over here yeah and the buildings yeah. themselves um, like just walking yeah, imagine you're just walking to a restaurant that was probably built you know or probably in a you know to walk down cobblestone streets yeah there is no such thing as cobblestone streets in Florida. No. I mean, you go to St. Augustine, which is like the oldest city in the United States. It was established in 15-something, but it was just a little tiny isolated place. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't like, you know, it, the real history of America starts in like, you know, as far as the English is involved, starts in like the 1690s and stuff in like New Virginia. York. And uh, I think there was two original establishments. One of them was... In uh, Virginia, um, I forget what Jamestown. they call it. What was it? Was it Jamestown? Jamestown. Yeah, the Hunters and all that. Yep. Yeah. And then the other spot was up here, if I'm not mistaken, and actually, uh, what would they what they call um not Portland um, there was another place that was built just afterwards. Newport. Uh, New no, not Newport. If you said it, I would know what it is. Portsmouth. But uh, Portsmouth, Portsmouth. Yeah, you, you have yeah. got Portsmouth over there. And I believe that was the second city. So you had basically two main cities in the beginning. The one in Virginia and the one in New Hampshire yeah. area in there, which wasn't New Hampshire at the time. It was just New England. But, but um, when they were they lived. <laughs> when they were colonizing Virginia for the tobacco. And they had all yeah. the Paguami uh, American Indians over there. That's where Pocahontas got. Apparently Pocahontas was taken against her will. She did not want to come to England and be westernized. And she was so beautiful. She was only 15. And oh. she got made to marry that James, apparently. Yeah, yeah she wasn't very happy about it. But right. they sailed from Southampton, where I am. Also, the Titanic sailed from here, might I add. Um, over to Virginia. They took a load of women to be wives. Some of them were a bit ruined. Some of them were all right. And they went over. Then the men hadn't seen a woman in 15 years. Oh so you can, imagine, you can imagine what happened to these so-called wives, can't you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, most of them died of dysentery because there, there was no good for cropping and that over there. So Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so you, you walk around, like, definitely, like, it's amazing to walk around. Like, one of these days I'm going to make my way over that way on the you other should. side of the um, I totally – that's always been, like, a dream of mine is getting over there. And I have so much – witchcraft family over there as well it's Ooh, like yes. that i would love to visit and everything you know and i always wanted to visit all the 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 you know things like um stonehenge and stuff and i only oh. wish stonehenge was i understand they had to change it but like i guess that some time ago they made it where you can't really go up to it anymore where it's kind of like you got to witness it from a distance now because people were doing stupid things and but um it would just be amazing to get over there <laughs> yeah yeah, you should come. You'd love it. It's not just, I mean, don't just land in London and I think that's the B end and Wendell. There's so much, especially up north in Cornwall and Boss Castle, if you're into your witches. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. They've got they got um they got the 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 wand of Alistair Crawley that was given to Gerard Gardner. Oh wow. In in the museum there. Yeah. And you can see the Duncan stick and everything. Yep. Yeah, and then up north, there's some fabulous places in Yorkshire yeah. and even Hampshire, where I am. Yeah, so, yeah. One of my, I think what I want to do one day is there's apparently a cruise there. It, it's it's a river cruise, and it starts somewhere up north in Europe, and it and it winds down with a big river boat, and you know it's like a, 
a yacht, like a cruise boat, basically. But it's a but it stays on the river. I forget which river it is, but it basically takes you through all these different countries from like Switzerland to Germany to you know whatever this river goes through, and it stops at each one. I think it's a seven day cruise, and England's one of them, and oh. it stops. Yeah, it stops at them, you know, in Ireland, Scotland, and it makes it where you can go in and visit each place over these seven days. You know, I forget what it's called. I think it's a Viking River Cruises or something like that. Something to do with Viking. That'd be awesome. But, yeah. But that's like one of my dreams one day. Who knows? <laughs> Make sure you have a cooked breakfast. Oh, and yeah. It's, and it's a scone. Oh man, it's not. Oh, no, it's, it's I, not a biscuit. It's a scone. Yeah, it's scone. No, I've heard. So there's a uh, there's an Irish place back in Florida that's traditional Irish. It's a restaurant uh, called The Fields, and they serve all traditional Irish foods. And I remember me, my uh, my ex wife and I would go there, and she would always get like the blood sausage and stuff like that. And, yeah, 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 blood pudding and stuff like that. And I'd always be, she'd always be like, try it, and I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I think I tried it once, but it was very livery to me, so I didn't like it very much. Yeah. <laughs> but but I don't know. Thank you so much, madam. You've been amazing. I really appreciate it. Thank, I think you. Thank you. A few questions. There wasn't really many questions on the live. I put a few up, but if you get a chance to go through them and maybe you answer them, I'll go through them later as well. But I just got so engrossed in what you were talking to me about. I was just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I blanked all the people that were making comments. I didn't mean to, guys. I'm sorry. I will go back and answer some of them. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you. Bye, thank everybody. You. Bye. Ciao for now. <laughs> Bye.